15. As you make it back to your seats. <laughs> Good gosh. Yeah. I guess not. I did. Uh-uh. As you make it uh, way back to your seats, if you'll remain standing for the reading of God's word, we'll be in John chapter 13. Jack will be reading verses uh, 12 through 17 this morning. So please open your Bibles and remain standing. John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye not what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Amen. May we be blessed by the read of God's word. You may be seated this morning. I know in your bulletins it says we'll be in John chapter 9. That is uh, inaccurate. That's my fault, not uh, Tracy's fault. Uh, I changed it uh, on vacation. We were in, we're in John chapter 13. We'll actually be looking at verses 1 through 17 this morning. Uh, this morning we will conclude our series uh, the summer series that we've uh, called Jesus Stories, where we've just been looking at certain stories of the life of Jesus through the book of John. And here uh, we conclude with this passage, a passage about service. Um, other than a suntan and a broken toe, I had a great vacation. Um, I know, it's, it's crazy. Don't ask to see the toe. It's black and blue. It's nasty. Uh, but on vacation, uh, reading... reading uh, whether it was going to be chapter 9 or chapter 13, I, I felt like God said uh, to finish this series with this, uh, with this uh, idea in mind, this idea of service. And so I, I'd like to uh, go there this morning. This part in the book of John is a pivotal moment in the book of John. The first 12 chapters of John has been Jesus leading up to and talking to the crowds about who he is. And we see in the very last part of chapter 12, he, he says this. If you'll turn one page over, maybe, or just a few verses up, he says this. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I've come into the world, I've come into your midst, is what Jesus is saying, to, to preach to you, so that whoever would believe in me may not be or remain in darkness. So he's calling them to salvation. He's calling them out of darkness into the light. He's addressing the crowd. You're addressing the world. And so that's what he's been doing in the first 12 chapters of the book of John. And now, in this pivotal moment, in chapter 13, Jesus is at the day of Passover, the night of Passover. And so everything in Jesus' ministry is now going to change from those who are outside to those who, that he would call his believers, his followers. And so if you know Jesus this morning, he's talking to you this morning. He's talking to me. But if you don't know Christ, he's going to address you as well. And so I asked the question this morning, who are you in the passage? I did that a few weeks ago. Who are you in this 
passage. We're going to look at four, the four S's. We're going to look at the supper, the Savior, the symbol, and the service. What has God called us to through Christ Jesus? And so he says this in verse 1 through 3 is, is the supper. And now before the feast of the Passover, that's the night before, the, the, the weekend before Jesus is going to be betrayed. A Thursday night, most scholars say. And so it's a pivotal moment in the life of Christ and the life of his disciples and in the life of the church and the life of people. So the Passover, we come out of Exodus. Exodus talks to us about the Passover. It's the very end uh, of the, the, the plagues. That, that the plagues were the people of God were going to be pulled out of Egypt and God was going to deliver his people, but they had to go through the Passover to do that. If you remember the Passover, there was the Passover lamb that was going to be slaughtered and then you'd paint the, the door frames of your house with the blood of the Passover lamb so that when the angel of death passed over, it would see the blood and you would be covered in the blood and the angel would pass over your house. And those that weren't have the blood of the Passover lamb covering them, the, the baby was slaughtered. And so now they celebrated, the Jewish people would celebrate from then on and still today, the Passover. A remembrance of God's deliverance of his people. So here Jesus is on the night of the Passover. And he was sitting with his disciples, and it says, Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, and most of the book of John, up until this point, Jesus would say, My hour has not yet come. If you remember in chapter 2, his mother comes to him at the wedding supper, and he says to his mom, My, my hour has not yet come. And now this moment in chapter 13, he says, My hour has come. Meaning he knows what is about to happen. His whole 33 years is coming to the climax of his life, and he knows it's about to go down. And I was thinking about this this week. Like if all the things that Jesus could teach right before he's to be crucified, what does he teach? Think about all the things. Like if you and I were at our last hour, if you will, and you want to say something to people, what's the last thing you'd want people to know? That's what's going on. Jesus knows that. His disciples are clueless, but Jesus knows his hour has come, and now he's going to set the tone for the rest of his moments. And it starts with this one word. It's the title of the message, service. Everything that Jesus does from chapter 13 on is about a life of service and I wonder for me and we'll look more into this text this morning do I demonstrate a life of service do you demonstrate a life of service we're going to see that in this text so Jesus is at the Passover and Jesus knew that his hour had come to what depart out of this world Back to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. If you want more explanation on that, read John 17, the high priestly prayer. He talks over and over. He's crying out to his Father about those that he came to save and those 
who would remain in the world and that God would protect those that once he would leave. And so it says to us, those who were in the world but not of the world, that he loved them what? To the very end. That Christ loved them all the way to the end. And this isn't to give away this lesson, but there's someone at the table with him that day that's going to betray him. And I thought about my own self, how often I am like Judas, and how often you are like Judas, if you're honest. We all, when we sin, betray Christ, and yet he serves us to the end. So he's sitting there at the, well, actually he's laying down at the table with his disciples, and he's having these thoughts about He came to the world to save the world. He just told us that in chapter 12. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of who? Judas, the plan that was going to take Christ to the cross to betray him. Get this in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Like Jesus is sitting there, reclining at the table, eating with the eleven, the 12 disciples and the one disciple that was going to betray him. And Jesus had such a peace about him. There's no angst about Jesus in that moment. And he knew the plan that was about to take place. Like he knew in a few hours that all of his disciples would scatter. He knew in a, few, in a few hours that he'd be beaten and betrayed. And it tells us in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 that he would be beaten so bad we wouldn't even be recognized him as a human. And yet the peace, because he knew what the Father had sent him to do. I don't know about you, but verse 4 is where I would stop if I was Jesus. At verse 3, I would stop and I would look right at Judas. And I'd speak right to Judas. And I would bless him out, as we say in the South. Because he knows what Judas is about to do. And I think about my own life. And never once has Jesus blessed me out. And knowing what I'm about to do. Not one time. Not one time has he ever condemned me for what I was about to do. He's never one time condemned me for what I have done. And yet what does he do? It's what he does to us every single time. We see now the Savior. In verse 4. He rose from supper right in the middle of dinner like how disturbing would that be here jesus and the 12 disciples they're laying around this table that's how they eat back in the day they'd lay on their left hand and eat with the right hand their feet were kicked back from the table and, and they were they were just eating and eating and all of a sudden the savior stands up from the table he rose from supper He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel. So all of a sudden we see this picture, if you will. Here Jesus is fully clothed. 
gets up from the table, and he takes out his outer garments. You see, what distinguished Jesus when he went into the crowd were his outer garments. He was a rabbi. People knew he was a rabbi, and people were known by what they wore that he was a rabbi. So he's saying to them, I'm taking off who you really think I am, and I'm going to lay that aside. And then he sa- it says that he took his outer garments and laid it to his side and put, took up a towel. Now, I, I think we lose it in this text. The translation is lost. All of a sudden, he goes from being a rabbi to a slave. His outward appearance goes from being a rabbi, one that's the highest of the high in society, to the lowest of lows. You see, it wasn't Jesus' role in this day and age to do what he's about to do. It would have been one of the disciples to do it. It's said that the first two or three guests that come into a house for the supper, if the slave is not there, is to be the one that kneels at the feet and welcomes everyone at the door to wash their feet. And so the 12 disciples had missed their opportunity to serve one another and to serve Christ. They missed it. And Jesus arose from the table and took off his outer garments, it says, and taking a towel and tied it around his waist, And then he began to perform the duties of a servant, a slave. And no Jewish slave would ever do this. It was only a Gentile slave, the lowest of the low of the lows, that would wash feet. And he pours this water into a basin. And he begins to go from disciple to disciple. And it says this, he washed his feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him, and then he came to Simon Peter. He's going from disciple to disciple to disciple, washing their feet, knowing that he's about to get to, or if he's already gone to Judas Iscariot and wiped his feet, the man that was going to betray him. And then he gets to Simon Peter. And he says, he gets to Simon Peter, and he tries to wash his feet. And then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. In that moment, Simon got it. Peter understood, hey, wait, wait, this is off. This is not how it's supposed to go down. I'm supposed to wash your feet. No, no, Jesus, don't do it. Don't, Don't touch my feet with the water, he says. But Jesus, being Jesus, the compassionate Savior that he is, Jesus answered him. What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And what Jesus was talking about was not about the washing of the feet, but what he was talking about was the moments that were going to come when he hung on the cross to set him free forever. You don't understand what I'm about to do, Simon. You don't get it. And Simon Peter, being Simon Peter, said to him, you shall never wash my feet. You shall never do this to me, Lord Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And that right there is the crux of the passage. If you do not know Jesus this morning, if you don't know Christ, 
This is where the passage ends for you. I'm going to get to the rest of us that know Christ. But if you don't know Christ, the only way to share in his fellowship is that he would wash over you. Which what he's going to do in a few moments, in a few moments later, he must wash you with his blood. The only way to have fellowship with God is through the finished work of Christ, what he's going to do in chapter 16 and 17 and 18. And so it stops for you. If you do not know Christ, I implore you to listen to this this morning. If he does not wash you, you can have no part in him. And the way that we take part in him is that we allow him to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that's to be washed in his blood. You cannot take part in that. That must be given and granted to you. The finished work of Christ on the cross for you. And so I say to you, if you don't know Christ this morning, if you are not washed in him this morning, you cannot share in his fellowship. Even coming here, you will not share in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. All the worship music we do, you will not share in the eternal fellowship with Jesus Christ unless you are washed and renewed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And now to the rest of us. And get your steel-toed boots out. Because they stepped all over my feet. And then he comes and he says, Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter still doesn't get it. He's like, okay, well, if i got to have fellowship with you, wash all of me. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, the one who is bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. And so what Jesus is now referring to, he's now talking to the, the, to the rest of us, the believers. And, and Simon Peter is saying, hey, wash all of me. And so often in our theology and our thought process is if we sin then man we, we've got to be saved again and again most people would look at this passage and say to themselves well i guess you can lose your salvation if peter's saying hey wash all of me but that's not true you cannot lose your salvation once you're in the father's hand there's nothing that you can do to get out of the father's hand no one he says can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Well, no one means no one, including you. So once you've been washed in the blood of Christ, you're now sealed in the, in the hands of God, and, and you cannot lose your salvation. That ought to give us total security, amen? And yet so often we come and we sin and we sin, and, and I'm not saying sin doesn't take away our assurance of our salvation, like, it will always affect my assurance. Like, man, am I really saved? If I'm living this way, it may affect my assurance, but it does not affect my security. But I want to tell you this morning, if you've been set free by the blood of Christ, you are secure in his hands. But if you're doubting your salvation, I implore you that it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you and, and bringing you back to himself. That is a great thing. I'm not saying it feels good to doubt your security of your salvation, 
but it is the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying to you, you cannot continue to live this way. But you do not have to be rewashed in the blood of Christ. That's been done. That's once and forever. And that's what Jesus says here. No one needs to be, no one who is bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet. What he's saying to Peter is, hey, you're going to need to now live an ongoing life of confession. You don't need, you don't need your, your salvation again, but you do need confession of your sin again. And I think the other part of our theology says, well, you know, it's been done. It's been taken care of by the cross. I don't need to confess. It's already been taken care of. No, confession is a part of our sanctification. And that is what Jesus is saying to Peter. He's saying, you are clean. And then he says this, but not every one of you. To me, that's a scary, scary, scary passage. He's sitting with the 12 disciples. Remember, he's the one that chose the 12 disciples. He's the one. He's the one that handpicked the 12 disciples. Knowing that one of them, when he first picked them three and a half years ago, was going to betray him. And he says to them, all of you are clean except one of you. Now, Judas had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Judas had performed miracles with the other disciples. Remember, he sends them out two by two. Well, Judas would have been a part of the two by two. So Judas saw the miraculous things happen. Judas was there as the last three weeks that he saw people healed by Jesus. And yet he looks in the face of the twelve and says, not every one of you is clean. And I wonder for us this morning, how many of us, it would be said, man, I've walked with Jesus. I've gone to church. I've seen miracles. And Jesus would say, but I don't know you. That's a scary passage. Remember what Jesus said in in another gospel. He, He says to them, Many of you will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, depart from me, for I did not know you. That is a terrifying passage, and I pray that's not true of any one of us in here this morning. Do you know for sure this morning that you are a child of God? The way that you know you are a child of God is to go back to the previous verse and to know that you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And then we're going to get to the last verse, the ongoing assurance of your salvation. And so he says, wash all of me. And Jesus says, no, for he knew that one would betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. And then the symbol. And then Jesus had washed the feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place and said to him, to them. So Jesus had already done the symbol. He had already gone from the 12 apostles and washed their feet and spoken to them. And I wonder what those conversations were like one by one as Jesus went to the feet of each of the disciples. When he looked into the eyes of those disciples, as he was 
serving them. And then he goes back to his place at the table. He says, you, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Did you catch that? He said to them, you call me Lord and teacher, and that is true, and that is true. And you just see what I've done in an example to you, those who have followed me. I've knelt down, I've washed your dirty feet. Now, I was at the beach all week and didn't wear shoes one time. I wore uh, flip-flops, and, and man, my feet were nasty, but not near as nasty as these brothers' feet were. I mean, they were nasty feet. Dirty beyond dirty. It's not like they had socks on, not like they had shoes on. They had open-toed shoes in dusty, dusty places. So it's not like he just dipped his foot in there and then pulled it out. That man had to scrub. He had to get dirty in order to cleanse them. Did you hear what I just said? He had to get dirty to cleanse them. And he had just performed all 24 feet. He says, you don't understand. For I've just given you an example, verse 15, that you also should do as I have done to you. This is the service for us, verses 15 and 16. So he's saying to us, now go and serve one another. Let me say that again. He's called us, church, to serve as he has served us. And I wonder how often we want to serve, but we don't want to get dirty in our service. You see, when we get into the lives of people, and we really start serving people, life gets really, really, really messy. How do I know that? Because my life is really, really messy. And I work with men every day that come out of prison. Their lives are really Really, really messy. And I look around this church, and there's a lot of messes in this church. And are we willing to serve and get dirty with one another? He goes on and says it this way. Truly, truly, he's saying, hey, this is really important. I say to you, a servant isn't greater than his master, and the messenger isn't greater than the one who sent him. Catch this in verse 17 if you know these things know what things the things he had just taught the service part you are blessed see we want to stop there with the passage if you know these things you are blessed and my great fear for us is most of us in the room that's where we stop at the passage see it's not it's not a, a new thing for me to sit up here and say serve one another that, that's not new information to anyone sitting here this morning. You know that to be true. But that's not, there's no period at the end of that statement. You see what he says next? You are blessed. Blessed are you if what? 
what? Do them. He's saying you know them, great. But blessed are you who do them. He tells it this way in Matthew chapter 7. You can turn there. Probably the greatest sermon that was ever preached on this planet. The Sermon on the Mount. And he says this at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the rocks came and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had a firm foundation. And the firm foundation was not the knowledge, but it was the doing of the knowledge that Christ had just imparted on them. And then he says this, and anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was its fall. He's saying you may know them, but if you do not do them, your house is not built on a firm foundation. And so we go back to John chapter 13. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do we serve one another, Powell Chapel Baptist Church, the way Christ served us? I want to end with this verse. He continues to speak to the disciples at night at the table, but he comes to them and he says to them, I'll give you a new commandment in verse 31. But we'll look at verse 34. And he says this. Chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give you. That what? You love one another. How do we show that we love one another? It comes through our service. You want to know what love is? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and read the love chapter. And instead of putting the word love in each of those uh, places, put your own name. Is Gerald patient? Is Miss Teresa patient? Is she kind? All the places you see the word love, insert your name. Just in your Bible, I know you might panic, but just take a, a, a marker, uh, uh, scratch out the word love, and insert your name. And if you can go through that list and say, man, that is who I am, then you can come back to chapter 13 and say, man, a new commandment he's given to me that I love one another. And I, man, I have done those things and I love one another. And this is what it says. When we love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, the what? The loving one another, the serving one another he now says look how you do this in here in this community the church how you serve and you love and you care for one another he says that by this all people those out there what know that you're my disciples 
You see, the problem with the world today starts in this room. It doesn't start out there. Let me say that again. The problem with the world today is not out there. It's in here. Because God has called us to love one another. And if we can't love those in the church, there's no way we're going to love those outside the church. Because if you think it's messy in here, you go out there. It's really messy. And so as we come to close today, I'd ask this question. How are we doing, Powell's Chapel Baptist Church, at loving one another in the walls of this church? There's been things that have been said and done over the last few months that break my heart that point to, are we really serving one another? Are we really doing what chapter 13 says to serve one another? I think there's been some conversations that wouldn't have taken place if we lived this way. I know in my own life that's true. And if we want to ever reach the world for Christ, we must serve each other in Christ. I'll read it again. A new commandment I give you, the church, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, the love, the service of one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let us pray. God, first, I implore you, I implore your spirit, Lord Jesus, that if there's anyone in here that does not know you as Savior and Lord and King, that does not have fellowship with you, that you in this moment would tell them, I will wash you by my blood. The greatest act of love that was ever demonstrated on this planet was that act on the cross. You say it so clearly. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. And so, Lord Jesus, there's nothing that we have to do to clean ourselves up to fix ourselves up, to make ourselves right, to present ourselves before you, to be washed in the blood. We come just as we are, messes before you. And then you wash over us, and your word says when we're washed by the blood of the Lamb, we're white as snow. And I pray if there's anyone in here that does not know that this morning, that this morning would be the moment that you would draw them to yourself. And Lord Jesus, I pray for us who do know you. Who may not serve each other or the church in this capacity, that this morning you'd break our hearts of that. God, I, I think in these moments as we come into the month of September and we 
are going around. We're asking people to serve on different committees, God, that if, God, you would place on their hearts to go find Jerry, to go find Miss Eleanor and say, yes, I want to serve and I want to serve the church. God, I pray that we'd be a church, a community of believers that would look to out-serve and out-do one another the way that you tell us through the Apostle Paul. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. God, I pray that we become a community that's known in this community for how we love one another. I pray this in the holy and mighty name of Jesus.